Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody. Mark and Steve on the PBSC podcast. Glad you're with us. Uh, Our episode today, episode 158, actually comes from a PBSC listener that sent us in a description of her situation and some really awesome questions. And so we wanted to address this today. So she's in a, it looks like she's engaged and she's engaged to a guy who has an addiction history. Uh, pornography addiction, uh, love addiction, sounds like maybe even, um, you know, addiction where he acted out with, you know, with other individuals. So it sounds like it's a fairly deep addiction. It goes clear back to when he was nine or 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's, uh, he's, they're both in their mid twenties now. And so, you know, longstanding addiction history on his part, but he's gotten into recovery uh, he's worked with a therapist. Sounds like he's doing some really great work. He's got uh, a streak of sobriety that's 160 days long. So, you know, he's doing some good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And she says his sobriety streak is by far the longest he's ever experienced, uh, even since he was a little kid. But then she has some she has some trepidation, which is entirely normal. She says, my fear is that while he's committed to recovery right now, this might not always be the case, especially if his brain is so tightly wired this way, right? Clear back to age nine or 10. Although I hate this reality, I'm told that slips will almost inevitably happen. I'm so scared, though, that one day he might stop choosing recovery and a relapse will happen. Even worse, that he might physically act out since, A, he's also a love addict, and B, his addiction had escalated to visiting prostitutes before we met. So although he hasn't, to my knowledge, had sex with others while we've been together, I'm afraid that he could easily slip back into this. So my question, I guess, is, 
is there some kind of safe zone? Have you heard of many men kicking their sex addiction for many years and then just doing a complete flip where they get tired of fighting it and just stop choosing recovery? Does this happen often? We understand that addiction is for life, that he'll always need to be in recovery. And right now he's very committed to that. I'm just so scared that I'll start a family with him. And that once he feels safe that I'm locked in, and then he gets a little bored with my body, he'll stop choosing recovery and return to sneaking these old habits on the side. Yeah. So, you know, really, I just, I mean, I love the vulnerability of the submission. You know, this is, uh, we don't get a lot of submissions where it's kind of a premarital discussion, which is kind of exciting um, because I, first of all, we will tell this listener and, and her partner, um, kudos to you guys for even looking at this stuff right now, because when I went through this and when Mark went through this, both of us, I think were terribly naive in our early married years about <laughs> these issues and what was at play and, and, uh, really didn't know much of, you know, the significance of the forces and the things that we were dealing with. Um, so I think that that, you know, you guys are really getting ahead of things in a lot of ways, which is awesome. You know, as we as we look at this, I think the first thing we probably have to talk about, Mark, is this whole idea. You know, she talks about, I hate this reality. I'm told that slips will almost inevitably happen. Uh, I'm told that slips almost inevitably happen. So we need to, I guess, talk a little bit about, you know, what do we consider a slip? Um, yeah, because she says she's she's been told that slips will happen. She's just afraid that he's going to end up in full-on relapse. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And so what's the difference? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, you know, Mark and I, we as we talk about often, we use the Sexaholics Anonymous definition of sobriety in our in our Dare to Connect program for addict spouses and couples, as well as in our uh as well as in our individual practices, which is, you know, sex no sex with anyone uh including the self other than the spouse. Right. And and so that's that's kind of the clear defined line. Any other behaviors leading up to that would be considered a slip. Um, so when we talk about, you know, you know, if, if we're talking about this idea of slips being, you know, he occasionally finds himself going to a place of lust and then starts to correct or, you know, what, whatever the case may be, and that could happen in a lot of ways. I think we would probably both say, you know, that, you know, that probably is inevitable if for no other reason than because, you know, recovery is not an exact science. It is an art as much as it is a science and, and people are human. Uh, and so definitely that, you know, that, that probably is the case if we're talking about it, I'll go ahead, Mark. And we have, you know, there's an illustration that's commonly used called the, the three circles. Mm -hmm. And Uh you know, if you're looking at slips and relapses, you look at the the, kind of the, the center circle, right? The, the, the most inside circle is a full on relapse. And as Steve said, that means I had sex with someone else or myself. Uh, and that's, that's a relapse. Now the the middle circle, the one that's outside that one, that's where slips reside. And those are all the things that will lead me to that full on relapse. And this is a very diverse area for a guy's middle circle, right? What are the things that if he engages in certain behaviors or ways of thinking or, you know, gets complacent or whatever, there are certain behaviors that will definitely lead him to a full on relapse. And then the outer circle are the positive behaviors, right? The positives of engaging in recovering healthy living that keep a guy from going into the middle slip circle. Mm. Right. So that's a good way to look at that. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
And uh, so, so it is important to kind of note that, yeah, I mean, even though this won't be an exact science, you know, when it comes to the slips category or working recovery perfectly, um, and we're going to get into more of why this is the case, as far as relapses go, um, there are a lot of steps that, you know, lead up to that. One of the key elements to this uh, uh, listener's submission was, um, have you, she asked, have you heard of many men kicking their sex addiction for many years? And then just doing a complete flip where they get tired of fighting it and stop choosing recovery. Mm. And I, I guess I, I, we didn't plan on doing it quite this way, but I guess I kind of wanted to answer that part head on. Um, in my experience, I have not seen that happen where actual real recovery is taking place. Where usually you see something like that where somebody is going on for many years in sobriety and then they do a complete flip is because they move into some sort of place of burnout or where recovery was being done in some sort of unsustainable or or in some sort of way that it was based on something outside of the internal factors that it needs to be based on. Well, and she asked in her question, I don't know if she realized that she made a really key reference in her question. If he will, do guys get, quote, tired of fighting it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And I can tell you that if that's what a guy's doing, <clears throat> he's fighting, fighting, fighting. That's not healthy recovery. No, especially over the course of years. No, Absolutely he not. will burn out and he will relapse. And how do I know? Because that's what I did. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of years. Fight, 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 right? White knuckle. Go through the motions. Check the boxes. Do whatever you got to do to get that sobriety date solid. Mm-hmm. And all the the whole time, never getting into real, you know, peel back the layers, get to the deep core issues recovery. Yes. No, I would completely agree with that because, you know, and obviously should we all be quote unquote fighting in recovery, even if it's healthy? Yes. But when we, when Mark says fighting, what we're talking about is that white knuckling, right? Every day it's, it's, we're, we're like, Hey, don't act out today. Don't act out today. You know, you got to make it another day. Sustainable recovery especially in the long term, and we can tell you from experience, mm. has very little to do with paying attention to a sobriety date. It has right. much more to do with what am I doing today in terms of using my tools, making the commitments that I need to make today, right? Pursuing this process one day at a time, putting my pants on one leg at a time every day, metaphorically speaking, right? It's this it's this day-to-day lifestyle shift, right? And that's really kind of the key that we're going to talk about during during this here today is this lifestyle change too often. I think we look at recover or too many guys or, or spouses for that matter, go into recovery thinking that this is going into recovery is like entering some sort of a hospital. Like I'm going to be admitted for a certain amount of time. And then eventually I'm going to come out of this process and go back to normal life. Well, I have, I actually have an example of that that just happened. Uh, We had, I had an inquiry come through, through this podcast where the the wife was asking me about my individual counseling and the the cost of it. She says, we want to be able to prepare, you know, for the cost of counseling. Uh, Is this just a month or does it go Mm. beyond that? (laughs) Right. Is your program a month or does it go longer? And Mm. that's an example of someone that really doesn't understand what it takes in order to get into, into making this a lifestyle. Right. I mean, there's just no possible, I mean, what, you know, if you look at Patrick Karn's work, kind of the, you know, the godfather of this whole movement, you know, what does he say it takes to be fully healthy and, you know, to go fully forward? How many years? Oh, we're looking at three to five. 
Three to five is what he says. And we don't say that to make all of you feel hopeless. Oh, no. Please don't misunderstand us. That doesn't mean it takes three to five years and then we start doing okay. Right? You can can start making some really wonderful progress in the first several weeks. Mm -hmm. But it's what is your expectation about how long, right? People say, how long is this going to take? Yes. And if you're asking that, you're, you're off, you're on the wrong track right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a new way of, new way of thinking, a new way of, of behaving, a new way of living, a new way of interacting with and connecting with each other. Yeah. I often have guys who will get really resentful about the fact that they have to be in recovery. And one of the things, one of the, one of the conversations is I know you do, Steve, that will, I'll take them through is I'll say, okay, tell me what in your healthy recovery and healthy living, what are, what are you doing right now that you would not suggest the average person on the street do to be happy and peaceful and successful? Tell me, tell me what you do that wouldn't apply to almost anyone. They're like, uh, oh, I guess you're right. Pretty much everything I do, everyone should be doing. Very little. Right. right. Very, very little. No, it's absolutely so true. And so that, that, that's an important piece to keep in mind. So, yeah, I, I think, I guess the good news is, is if that, if recovery is really a solid process and it's grounded and formed the way that it's supposed to, especially years in, no, there is not a, I mean, do, do relapses happen? Yeah, sometimes, but there is a big difference between relapse and reset, right? Going yes. back into and just saying, I'm out, I'm done, I'm whatever. Right. Um, so, I guess that kind of uh, kind of answers that, um, you know, and you know, we let's talk about the safe zone for just a minute. Is you know, yeah, she said, "Is there a safe zone?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's important to talk about, right? He's, yeah. Now he's 160 days sober, which is huge. I mean, yeah. that's nearly a third, and that's nearly half a year. Um, we're coming up; that's coming up on six months, which is excellent. Yeah. And, and she does go on to say, you know, he has good supports in place, but here's the other element, right? That wasn't mentioned now now this may already be be being answered and that's definitely possible but we just didn't see it in the question so something to consider you know one thing that we didn't see that would be troubling if it hasn't been addressed is what are the specific issues not only that feed this right like where do his triggers come from you know what are what commonly leads to that what are the what are the scary issues or the slipping points but more significantly what are the origins of the addiction in the first place Right. Has that been fully explored? Is that still being explored? Are those character are the character defects around that being addressed? Um, therapy was mentioned in there a couple of times, but there's really good therapy out there, and then there's not as on point therapy out there. And so um asking that is important. Is recovery, Mark brought this up before the before we talked today, which is so important. Is recovery, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, is this a novelty concept? Right. Is this something that he primarily and also you are really committed to long term? Um, or is this a nice idea, right, uh, leading up to it? And again, we're not saying that it is by any means because this could be very sincere. It's just something to ask. Are both of you, is he, are you, and are you both, are you guys looking at this again as that lifestyle change as yes. a way of living going forward, right? Is this something you're prepared to build a relationship on? If 12-step meetings, for example, are working for him, are is he prepared? Are you prepared to for him to be going to those once a week? I do. I'm eight and a half years sober. And with, almost without fail, I attend at least one meeting every week. That's part of the part of the cost for the process for me. 
Now, well, it's not you, a huge one, but you've had an accountability one. partner. Your accountability oh, partner, you and Steve, have been what together longer than a decade? Not that long, but we're coming up on like eight years or so. Eight years, and you guys <laughs> touch base like pretty close to every day after pretty, eight years. Yeah, I mean, it's hit and miss sometimes, but it rarely it, it doesn't go more than several days without. Con- I mean, it's it's consistent, and that's been going on a long time, mm-hmm. right? And those, and again, they're not huge things. Mm-hmm. They are small investments, but that consistency piece, I mean, it's a, that's a dedication that takes time. And, and just being candid with this listener, we don't want to instill unnecessary fear. 160 days is really commendable, but at the same time, when you're looking at a little bit less than six months, that's still fairly new in the process. Definitely. And it just, it just is. It's not <clears throat> good or bad. It just is. And Well, and here's the challenge that can happen with the fact that it appears they're not yet married. Mm-hmm. And we'll do all kinds of things as guys when we're engaged. Yes, we will. I'll change all kinds of things. I'll you know, I'll put on a different face, right? <clears throat> and but when and and this is one of her concerns. She she says this, and we, we Steve when we, Steve and I read this, it just leapt it just leaped out at us. We're like whoa, and what she says is, um, you know, once they're married, once they've started a family, he feels safe. That she and here's what she the word she used. Once he feels safe that I'm locked in. And boy, did that phrase jump out at us. Yeah. You're locked in. What does that mean? Yeah. Again, we're we're reading into a small submission, right? So admittedly, we're just we're just poking and prodding a bit here because we could be off base, but I mean, I'll I'll tell you, my wife was very aware of my issues before we went into this. I mean, we went in horribly naive. We didn't know the significance of them. But I, but my wife, I can tell you, uncategorically, there was never a thought of, of uh, you know, is is Steve gonna wait till I'm locked in and then he's got me and I'm stuck? Now that could now that that fear could stem from lots of things, right? That could stem from past relationship trauma, mm-hmm. you know. That could be some bad from bad breakups. Uh, that could be also maybe instilled by in the therapy process, but it also could be instilled by some behaviors that have been going on in this relationship. Yes. And if that is the case, I think it's really, we think it's really important that you're paying attention to that, right? Where, where does that thought come from? If wherever the trust issues come from, we would strongly recommend knowing what you're jumping into. Cause can you guys have, we just, uh, you know, I'm getting the feeling like we're coming off as Debbie Downers here. Can you guys have a successful marriage? The answer is absolutely. Oh, for, for sure. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. No but, question. But there are, but there is, you know, there are things you got to do to make, you know, set the set the deck in your favor. And if there are, if you're going into a relationship, you know, we're our best selves in the dating and engagement process. If you're going into a relationship with those kinds of fears, those need to be addressed. Yes. Right? And and that whether it's whether it's past breaches of trust in this relationship, or maybe there are some trust or trauma issues for this the the submitter of this of this. Uh, you know, uh, submission to the podcast maybe needs to work through or whatever it is. You want to be getting that relationship to as high of a trust degree as possible once prior to getting married, because there will be lots of challenges in that area after. And yeah. So, one of the things we highly, <clears throat> highly encourage this couple to engage in and all couples who are considering, you know, marriage, you need to we see, we don't want to get the hard issues out on the table. Because, right, it's it's the novelty, the excitement, the newness. We're all into each other, all the things that go along with the courtship. But we don't want to talk about hard things, right? Don't, no. don't, don't be a downer on all this. Don't, don't interrupt our awesome 
are awesome, you know, enjoying each other. But this is the time to bring up those issues. Totally. Now, before that commitment is made. So we highly recommend that these, this couple talk about the things that this gal has written into us about. Have the two of you talked about, has she been this transparent with him about mm-hmm. her fears and her concerns and what she's worried about, or she kept this to herself? Yeah. And, and so if that discussion or discussions haven't taken place, they need to. And the other side of it is, what's our plan? What's our plan once we're married? I'm going to be married to a guy in recovery. What is the plan if he starts to have slips? What is the plan if he has a big relapse? Mm -hmm. Those things need to be talked about now. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that, right? Getting all that out on the table and making sure you have as solid of a plan in place as possible. You know, things do just get harder in a lot of ways post-marriage. It's just the reality of it. And so... The more you can address now, the better. Um, I know we're getting close to wrapping this up here. Um, you know, and, and I know we've talked a little bit about the boundaries piece and and having a place and plan uh, or a plan in place. You know, if something does happen, if relapses happen, and and we want to just be careful with this because we, you know, obviously it's not organized place to tell anybody what to do with their relationship. But I, nope. when it comes to a relationship and a marriage. And and relationships following recovery. I love the Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not, a, I don't know if it's in their literature or not, but it, it, it gets talked about a lot in, in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. You know, if you, if you think you're ready for a relationship, you know, get a plant. And, <laughs> and if you don't kill that after a couple of months, then get yourself a fish. And if you can keep that alive, right, for a few more months, then, and the saying goes, you know, you kind of graduate up to these different things. And then well after the year mark, you know, it says, and if you can do all those things, <laughs> then the phrase ends with, you might be ready for a relationship. And and that's a good, that's an important phrase, you know, to take into account when, when we get into a relationship or we get into a commitment and we get married, that's one thing. But when it comes to this element of having kids mm. um, and the dynamics that shift, and Mark can speak much more to this as a guy who's had them. Um, I work with clients all the time who have the reality is, is it does put a lot of new strains on the relationship. It does change the dynamics a lot. And there is no reason uh, I would say to rush into the kids side of things. Um, you know, if there is, if you guys are planning on getting married soon, uh, I mean, I, and I, frankly, I would tell any couple I work with this right, addiction or not. Personally, I think that marriages work best when you give it at least an absolute minimum of a year before yeah. having kids. That's just I my personal totally agree. Um, yeah, Mark can maybe speak more to this having had them. Especially but, with this guy's history. And and yeah. I don't say, I don't uh, bring his history up to shame him. Oh, no. I mean, my history was the same. I mean, I started struggling with stuff when I was a little kid. Point is, you know, I had decades of that addiction behavior before I ever got married. Yes. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was like 15 years or something like that before I got married. And knowing that, you know, bring, bringing all that into the marriage, just being with one other person is difficult enough while I'm, quote, trying to work things out in this new relationship and understand what it means to be a husband and partner. I mean, it's a whole big, huge dynamic. Recovery is hard enough. And then you, you add into the mix that you have a partner now. 
But now extend that to now we have kids in the mix. And that really changes the, dyna- the dynamic. Mm-hmm. The woman's body changes radically. Um, suddenly you're not all into each other and all, you know, every waking minute is focused on her or him. There's, there, there are these other human beings that now get a lot of, and need a lot of attention and a lot of focus and a lot of nurturing. A lot mm-hmm. of things change. I would say that you have to have done a lot of personal work. As you said, Steve, get to the core. What's on, what's under the layers for this guy about why he turned to these things in the first place. If he hasn't dug down through those layers and got to the deep core issues and and they're being addressed through therapy and group work, et cetera. I don't want to bring uh, marriage, let alone marriage, but I don't want to bring kids into a situation where I, as a guy have not, have not resolved those deep core layer issues, because guess what? They're all going to come out and raise their ugly little head when the stress of kids is added to the mix. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And and Mark, I love the way that Mark said that because I'm sure that this guy is a great guy. I mean, it, it takes a tremendous amount of courage and strength to be tackling this the way that you guys even are. And like, like we said, I hope you are hearing this with hope. I mean, you guys are so much further ahead of the, of the, of the coin than Mark and I ever were. Oh, just, yeah. He's in recovery. He's addressing this. They're talking about, are you kidding me? I mean, that's some, I mean, I give anything to go back and do it this way, but that's why we just give so many cautions is you just want to go into this eyes wide open, you know, and set yourselves up for success. If you were to wait on kids, for example, please know that we wouldn't say that it's not anything that would be punitive. It's to say you get, just give you guys the best chance for success. Make sure you can really ground the relationship, really cement that thing, really, Make sure that you've got this recovery and marriage process down before you just add that challenging dynamic. Yeah. You no. Know? And so <clears throat> anyway, I hope we're I hope we're giving a good balance of caution and hope here. <laughs> yeah, we're um, we are not we are not the expert gurus to tell you what to do with your your lives and when to have children or any of that stuff. That's no, that, absolutely that's not, not us at all. But we've just experienced this personally and seen so many who have experienced it. Yes. Um, but our, you know, kudos to both of you. Um, I love the fact that you're, that you're looking at these things now. Um, and we just, we just encourage you to just get all this out on the table, be vulnerable, be transparent and authentic. And just know that talking about this now is not, you know, destroying the, you know, the magic of your courtship. It's actually giving you the best chance possible. Absolutely. Well, and, and, as you know, young couples are starting, I mean, we, we, I was talking about this with a client the other day, you know, the benefits of like premarital counseling and mm-hmm. how can you safeguard a relationship? And the reality is, you know, therapy is really expensive and it's not cheap. And there are, you know, recovery is hard and difficult and, 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 and there are a lot of things that can get in the way. Timing's an issue. You know, there's all sorts of things. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please consider checking out Mark and I's revolutionary program, Dare to Connect for Addicts, Spouses and Couples. Uh, you get two therapists three times a week for an hour a day, uh, hours on an hour on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, along with a two 90-minute support groups on the weekend uh, to help provide support and healing and information for you on your recovery journey. Um, we try to, at Dare to Connect, we bring the best of both worlds uh, of recovery and also group work and being able to interact with people, ask questions, get answers. And we do that for the cost of each of you having a therapy session a month. Um, there is no better deal out there. It is the program Mark and I always wanted. 
And we we now have hundreds involved in the program, and we would love to have you come out and check it out, see what the buzz is about. You can find more information about that and grab a free two-week trial on that at daretoconnectnow.com. Um, and uh, for those who are, are listeners of the podcast, if you love the podcast, you'll love Dare to Connect. So please come check us out. If you do have questions that you would like submitted and addressed in a brief fashion <laughs> on the podcast, um, you're welcome to uh, head over to our website at pbscpodcast.com. There's a contact form at the bottom. You can complete and send those in. And we, we do take those and allow those for longtime listeners know this. Those are our primary guide for episodes. Mark and I are bags of hot air. We always have plenty of topics to tackle just solo, but <laughs> we love responding to those and would love to hear from you. So. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for being with us. And, and yeah. uh, we, our greatest hopes, and uh, we really applaud this couple absolutely uh, for all that you're doing. And we, we truly, truly wish you the best going forward. For sure. Have a great uh, week, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.